Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of The Right Type. Today I'm here with Namina Fauna and we're going to be talking about um, basically what happens after you get a book deal and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, so Namina, just tell everyone who you are and about your book and your background. Hi everyone, I'm Namina. I'm originally from Sierra Leone, West Africa, but I'm in LA where I work um, as an author and a screenwriter. My book is called The Gilded Ones. It's basically if The Handmaid's Tale met The Hunger Games. Uh, It's set in a patriarchal ancient African society where every 16-year-old girl must go through what's known as the ritual of purity, where basically they cut you to figure out if you bleed pure meaning if you bleed red blood. If you don't bleed pure, like, which means you bleed gold blood, um, you are thought to be a a demon and you are sentenced to be executed. Problem is, impure girls, each has only one way that they can die. And not only that, they're like faster and stronger than regular people. So my story is about a girl named Deka who discovers she's impure and is sentenced to be executed because all of her kind are thought of as demons, but then actual demons come in and invade um, her country. And now the humans are like, we sort of need those girls, impure girls to fight these demons and hopefully they'll kill each other off. And so it's a story about her and other girls like her learning how to be warriors and also sort of questioning the patriarchy and learning the truth about their world. And I love this book so much. It's one of those books that kind of make you love a genre. I didn't think I liked fantasy before um, reading Namina's book. And then I read Namina's book. I read Sabah Tahir's um, An Ember in the Ashes. And I was like, maybe what was missing was women of color from the industry (laughs) because I loved it. I was, I'm obsessed and I always recommend it to people. Um, I'm going to leave all the like pre-order links if there are any yet, I'm not sure. No, there aren't any yet. Okay, I'll leave the Goodreads link then. And obviously at the end, we'll talk about like where they can find you on social media. But um, I wanted to go to the first question, um, which is, I wanted to know basically your process of getting published. Were there any barriers? Um, how did you get an agent? How was querying? Um, everything, just tell us all about it in detail. <laughs> Were there any barriers? Uh, okay. So I decided I wanted to be a writer, like when a novelist when I was 19, and I immediately set off and I started writing novels left and right. And um, I, for the then for like the next 12 years, queried sort of fruitlessly. It was like throwing like um, just stuff into like the abyss, and like nothing would ever come out of it. I would just get rejection after rejection after rejection. Uh, it was like pretty bad but I sort of never gave up hope because I always knew I was meant to be a fantasy writer Um, it was that either that or I was crazy so I decided to go to film school because I was like all right well I'm trying to get this novelist thing started um, and maybe I'll go to film school and I will figure out something else that like can pay the bills and make me excited while I'm trying to live this novelist dream did not realize that film school is just as iffy as like being a novelist like literally when i made the decision it was like a spur of the moment like one of my cousins was going to film school and i was like wait a second people can actually go to school for that i'm like okay i'll just go and i applied to usc and i got in and i went um and i that that was when i decided i also wanted to be a screenwriter so now I was getting sort of like double <laughs> the rejections. Like there would be days I get three or four rejections in one day. Um, I remember I got re- like I got rejected by um, a manager. Um, this is for the film side who was like talking to me about representation on the day. Like literally, I was driving to this person to talk representation and like they were just like, oh, we can't meet with you anymore. So, like, I have faced, like, literally every sort of um, no that you can imagine and in, like, a lot of, like, not the best circumstances. And I definitely think that um, my... I think that, you know, being Black (laughs) really played a role in some of my rejections because a lot of times I'd get notes back from agents like, oh, this is, you know, really cool, Ken the main character does the main character have to be somebody of color 
I once had on the film side an agent tell me to my face that my stuff was like never going to be made because people did not want to see stories like mine. So being like being sort of black, like definitely was like a strike against me. And um, I remember when I so when I first got my agent, um, sort of being scared to. Um, when I was sending out my books, I used my real name on my books because I was like, people are just gonna keep sort of rejecting me based on my name and based on the obvious fact that like, you know, I'm not like um, what you would think of when you think of a fantasy writer. So yeah, I tried for 12 years, didn't have much luck. Um, I would do all the things like read query, you know, like be on all like the writing websites trying and trying and trying what changed for me um was i did pitch mad i did pit mad which it was a combination of pit mad and dv pit because basically i did pit mad for um the the book that i found my agent with and um that helped me sort of like finesse my book like helped me sort of meet like a greater community of novelists um and so when dv pit rolled around like my book was like sparkling and so my agent alice liked my book um my my pitch on dv pit and i think it was like a wednesday she liked it she asked for like 50 pages um i wake up thursday morning she's like give me a hundred i wake up friday she's like give me the whole thing, let's talk um, representation. So literally, I think it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we talked representation on Saturday. And like, by that time, I was sort of so battle scarred, I was deeply like, um, I had like all my defenses up. And I asked all these questions, which I do think as a writer, there are certain questions that you should ask when you are like, when you're getting an agent, like, how do you see my career? Where do you see it five years from now, 10 years from now? How are you going to help me with my career? Um, how are we going to build this together? Are you an agent for just this book? Or are you an agent for like all my books? Because one of the things that I was sort of very um, specific about was I did not want um, just an agent for one book. And that was that I wanted to build a career with someone and like, um, and I and I also wanted to make sure that um, they understood my aesthetic. So with Alice, I not only um, like I was like, OK, good. You have this book. You've already read this book that you like. Here's the other stuff that I have, the other stuff that I'm thinking of writing. Like one thing that was like very sort of important to me is like that she was feminist, um, that she understood where I was coming from. Um, so yeah, I asked a ton of questions and then, um, I gave all the other agents who, um, had, um, my work two weeks to read and to make their offers. But like, I always sort of knew that it was Alice from like that first preliminary conversation. It was like, it was done. It was a wrap. I was like, oh yeah, this is the person. And that was because, um, over the years I'd met so many people and gotten so close but it was always like we were never quite like on the same wavelength like for them um they would always sort of like try to hide um my ethnicity or my gender or what what have you um like I actually once had a manager like and this is in their film in the film space um screenwriting space who was like, you know, because you're like a black woman, we need to sort of tap down all of those things about you and you need to write this so that you can be successful. But Alice was the first person who was like, um, how you have a voice, I think it is, I think it's an amazing voice. I think it is a voice that is of the time. And she was the one who sort of like um, pushed me to like be a hundred percent who I was in moving forward. So yeah. That's so wonderful. And Alice is a great agent and a great person. I follow her on Twitter and I've met her in real life and she's so lovely. Um, I wanted to know, I'm, I'm gonna ask a really um, weird question. I might cut it out okay. if you wanna answer, but 
these agents not being specific or anything these literary agents are they now have you seen any of them the ones that said to you um like they don't want people of color as main characters have you seen them now acting like they want diversity um yes i actually have um yes that is the one thing so that's one thing that has it's interesting to me looking around um when i when I like meet people or, you know, have meet when I have meetings, whenever I do stuff, like it's interesting to me that, um, like my book, the gilded ones is one of the first books that I ever wrote. Like I had this idea in undergrad and I wrote the first draft, um, in grad school. So like I had like my first draft of the gilded ones in like 2015. Right. And nobody wanted it. Like I, when I say nobody wanted it, I mean, there were a couple of agents who reached out and were like, this is awesome. Does the character have to be this way? Right. Um, and so now it's interesting to me because a couple of them are still sort of out there and I just look and now everyone's all like diversity, this diversity, diversity, that, but I'm like, but a couple of years ago, you guys were like the sort of the wall that, kept me and like so many other writers um of color um from you know pursuing our dreams from achieving our dreams that's so wild and i'm not even surprised because i'm always very skeptical of certain people um people that are very very much like oh yeah own voices diversity and i'm just like are you really wanting this because you genuinely believe in these black and brown writers or are you just then like jumping on a trend um so it's just interesting seeing from like from the perspective of someone that's been doing this for years and seeing how people are fake. Well, I yeah. mean, like that is something um, that I'm very wary of. But what I will say is this: um, when I started, when I began my quote-unquote writing career, only it's now like it's an actual career. But like when I first started, I did not understand the barriers that were against me. If I had, if I'd understood sort of like the amount of pain of the amount of years that I would spend knocking on a wall that was not going to open to me, let us be 100% honest, um, I probably would have quit and would have done something else, you know? And I cannot help but think how many other talented writers of color gave up because it was insurmountable the wall was insurmountable i'm thankful that like when i started i was young and i had and i just i kept pushing and i whenever somebody said no i was like okay that's a no for right now it's not a no for forever um what i will say is this um i think black panther in so many ways changed the game um, I actually also like think even before Black Panther, Trump changed the game because Trump made people realize that um, certain attitudes that they had um, were not okay and that they were themselves sort of feeding into um, all the stuff that they said that they weren't feeding into, you know? Um, I think that Trump was like a great mirror. Um, and I think that Black Panther showed people and after that, Children of Blood and Bone showed people that um, people of color buy books, and more importantly, everyone around the world will buy books as long as it's a good story. It doesn't matter who it is, where it's from, as long as it's a good story, people will read it or watch it or what have you. So for me, there has been a monumental sort of change in the zeitgeist, and I am so happy, like, like literally coming up i'd never thought i'd see like you know 20 year old black writers writing fantasy and getting contracts off of that like i got to a place where i was so jaded i was like oh yeah it's never gonna happen for any of us and now it is and that to me is so amazing i'm so i'm skeptical of the diversity trend but i think that we've sort of gotten to a point where there are so many people that have smashed open that barrier that you can't roll back. And that is just, 
it's amazing. I'm so grateful that I'm a writer during this time because I mean, man, what a time, you know? It's an amazing time. And I'm like, what you said is so true. I was just thinking of like how many black writers that have given up because of how, um, call it what it is, racist the industry has been. Um, and actually one of my friends who's also black, um, she's got an agent now, but she was saying how she's, she was like querying for 10 years, um, before the diversity trend where people started suddenly wanting to have, um, writers of color as their clients. And she was struggling rejections after rejections for 10 years. And it's just wild, like that this is the reality and she and you didn't give up because like you could have easily, because that's just a confidence knock every day. When I tell you, I nearly went to uh, law school twice. I applied to law school twice, got in twice and did not go. And the reason I didn't go was because, you know, like I grew up in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Um, I grew up, um, you know, during the Civil War. Um, Thankfully, like I didn't experience a lot of the atrocities. But like when I grew up, I grew up, there was this sort of atmosphere of fear, like constant. It was, you couldn't breathe. It was so sort of, it was like pressing on your chest all the time, you know, like people disappearing, all these things. And like, the one thing that sort of kept me going during um, this time, um, and like after when I came to America, and I sort of realized um, the breadth of what was happening in my home was books, books, movies, TV. I think that writers, we are so important because basically we give people joy you know we give people joy we help people um examine their trauma we do so many different things that are important for the psyche um of the individual and that's why i wanted to be a writer because i remember you know growing up and reading like c.s lewis and like the magical faraway tree and like um all of these things and like that for me was an escape that helped me sort of not because at the time I did not have the wherewithal to like sort of deal with what was going on in my personal life and so books um helped me you know and that's what I wanted to do for others and that's why I never gave up my dream of writing because I knew I had a voice I knew I had a different point of view and I knew that I had these fantastical stories that I was going to tell to the world and tell to like other kids like me who are, you know, wherever they are across the world in situations that are not ideal. And like the thing that always drove me was the dream that one day somewhere across the world, a kid, it doesn't matter where they are, what they're going through, but whatever it is they're going through, they can sort of read my book and disappear into my world and for however long it takes they'll be okay while they're there and that's why I never gave up that's wonderful oh my god um just so much good in what you said just now I feel like it's so important and even like extending on that like um expanding on that um like we need writers of color to also tell these stories because while these stories are so important for children to get lost in there's a point in a child's life when they realize the stories they're getting lost in no one looks like them and exactly. then they don't feel like they can be the hero of the story actually like there's children not just people of color like there's children who are like um they have a disability and they never see themselves as the hero always a sidekick or the butt of the joke and so it becomes a thing where we need these stories because also we need to show these children that not only can you escape but you can actually be these characters you can be strong and you can be like amazing so yeah that's so many amazing things you said there i mean like that for me is the most important thing um in each of my books i have like a different type of protagonist because i truly aim to show that any kid across the world um can find their place in my in my books yes that there are some stories that i cannot write with a hundred percent truthfulness Um, because I don't have that experience or somebody else has that experience better than I do and it's their space to write it. But I do aim um, as a whole 
to sort of represent um, the just the spectrum of kids, whether you're disabled, whether you're LGBTQIA, whether like wherever you are, whatever you are, like, you know, whoever you see yourself to be, I hope and I try to write good um, and honest and accurate um, representations of children because it's it's so important for instance when i was growing up i love fantasy as you know and um one of like my favorite things was lord of the rings but um after a while i had to stop watching it because i noticed that in lord of the rings the only characters of color were orcs you know um in fact like i don't know if you watched um what is it called honest trailers there's there's this on one of the very first honest trailers literally talks about how lord of the rings is so white that when people die they come back whiter and it's funny but it's true because gandalf the gray literally became gandalf the white you know and while i understand that this you know is a story that is you know set in ancient europe and like all of these things for kids like me who don't see themselves in these stories but love these stories what happens is that your mind becomes colonized one of the biggest things that i had to do as an adult was to process the fact that my mind was colonized and it is something that i have to like do to this day to sort of check myself because sometimes when you when you are sort of swimming in this all you can ever see um is whiteness and white characters and what i mean by that is that like i got to a point where i could only imagine white people in my imagination and i'm black that's a problem you know a huge problem that is a that is a huge problem if i can if i in my imagination can only imagine white people as heroes in my imagination then that's a problem and that is something that i had to do in like my early 20s i had to do like some aggressive work in pulling and pushing against sort of that and opening my mind to a realm of just different and other people you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. same with me i mean i'm younger than you um but i feel like i don't know there's like this period of time i want to say like maybe 2013 to like um now I guess um where a lot of black people no matter what age you are you're kind of getting this social awareness and kind of um just kind of understanding that you've your mind has been colonized basically and it's just so it's so scary that whiteness and white supremacy is this powerful yes you know um I I I definitely agree and I think that it's something that we all work on I think all of us have our you know I always I continuously have to check myself because I realize I have internalized racism so I sometimes have to look at myself and be like huh this is this is interesting I need to check that or like I had to like you know sort of push back against you know internalized homophobia um internalized sexism because women are also guilty of sexism you know this is patriarchy affects everybody it's not just men it's women too and so these are all things that we sort of have to like do the work like sit down see how we are thinking and like sort of approach our biases because everybody has biases you know it's not just the person across the room it's you as well it's me as well very true and i wanted to ask um so you have a uk agent that's a quite a rare thing i think because i've noticed well with my uk friends either we have uk agents or we have us agents but i hardly meet anyone who has um who's you i'm from the us and has a uk agent so could you tell us like kind of um how that is and why you like decided to submit to alice and also um what made you kind of pick her in the end um so First of all, it's amazing. I love Alice because, like, Alice is just a great, like, she's an amazing agent. She's an amazing human being. Um, What I love about her is that I will wake up, and I'm a really early riser, so I'll wake up at, like, 4 or 5 a.m., 6, whatever, and, like, I'll have an email from her. And so she's, like, consistently checking in. She's always 
sort of there, always has my back, always is available to sort of hold my hand when I need it. But what I also like about her is she has boundaries, you know, like when she shuts down at like, when she gets off of work at like five o'clock, like that's it, unless it's an emergency. And I know she's always available if I really need her, I can always text her or whatever. But like, that's something that I deeply appreciate because agents in America don't turn off. And like, for me as a writer, that's stressful. I sort of like somebody who's like, okay, you know, this is work time, this is home time. And like, is always, and she's again, always responsive, always or whatever. But I'm glad that I know her hours because then I don't freak out thinking that she might contact me outside of hours because you know, like we, we writers were nervous, neurotic people. That's just one of my neuroses. Um, But why I chose Alice and how I met her was this. Um, So I did DV Pit, and she liked my book. And this was for a book other than the Gilded Ones. And so she was very quick. I remember she, like, I gave her 50 pages. She read it overnight. Um, The next day, she was like, I need more. I read it to her. Like, literally by Friday, she was like, let's talk representation um, and we talked representation on Saturday. And, like, I really grilled her, you know. I asked her. I had a ton of questions to ask because, I, you know, after having had so many near misses um, and having had so, like, having, like, before had a manager um, on the literary side who um, didn't quite understand me, I wanted to make sure 100% that she and I were on the same page. You know, I was like, things that were important to me is, you know, I am a diverse writer. A lot of my things, um, a lot of my writing is sort of feminist in nature. Um, A lot of my work in humorous or fantastical or whatever way unpacks certain things. Like, my writing typically is something makes me mad or I'm concerned about something. And I'm like, hmm, let's examine that. But let's examine it in a way that's like amazing and awesome and a fun ride. So like that's sort of my mindset. But like if you read my work, you'll always notice that there's something there in the unpacking. And it was very important for me that my agent got that, that they understood that I wasn't going to be a writer who just writes like, you know, sort of like these um, big books that don't really have a theme, which are great. But like I always sort of have that underlying thing. And I needed to ensure that she was on board with that. And so Alice was like, she um, understood where I was coming from. When I asked her questions, she had answers. She was prepared. That was important to me. Like she was prepared, you know? So like I was immediately impressed with her. Like the minute we spoke and like just based on our interactions, how responsive she was because, and this is really important. I have had before managers um or people who are interested that would take weeks to reply and be like i'm busy and doing things or whatever and so you always feel like you're sort of a low man on the totem pole and that like eats at your confidence as a writer because you're like if my own agent or my own manager or my own whatever doesn't want to get back to me then you know um this is weird and problematic you know and it makes me feel as a writer that perhaps i'm not so good a writer like that eats at your self-confidence so it was the responsiveness was important to me um the understanding of what i wanted and where i wanted to go as a career and not just as a book was important to me and alice like checked off all those lists so like when i gave other agents my two like my two week quote unquote two weeks notice of hey read my book because um you know and come in with your offers because i've got an offer on the table like honestly like i wasn't even concerned about what whatever else anybody else was saying because having spoken to alice i knew i was like okay this is the one this is the person we're going to build a career together and like that was that was sort of my mind and we are building a career together and that's so important i feel like um in my in my uh, agent um, podcast episode um, before this, um, uh-huh. we discuss about like picking agents that are going to basically be a champion for not just one book, but your career and really yeah. getting along with them in that way and being on the same page. And it's just so interesting. And I think that it's just, it's a good thing to like constantly remind people because it's so hard to say no to an agent, I feel. Um, 
But as people like to say, you know, a bad agent is worse than no agent. Um, So, yeah. Yes. Actually, like, I would agree. And I would also go as far as to say, um, when coming out of film school, I got a manager, a literary manager, which is basically like an agent for um, screenplays, right? And it, and you, and this person had sort of pauses when they talked about my work. Um, and you should always look for those pauses because those pauses are important. Um, being with that person was one of the worst mistakes of my life because it literally was the closest I'd ever gotten to quitting writing because I thought like, here I am as a writer, if my own, if my own representation doesn't really understand or appreciate my work, um, then I'm not that good a writer. And like, this is a person who had um, the Gilded Ones and was like, oh, like, I don't think this is going to sell. Like, you know, um, you need to maybe change the race of this woman. Does it have to, you know, like this was one of those who gave one of those notes and that was, and that literally was the nearest I'd ever been to quitting because it really made me think if this person who is supposed to be my champion does not understand my work, then I must suck. I must be really, really bad. And I went into like a deep depression because of that. That's horrible. I'm so sorry you went through that. And I feel like this is just kind of a story people need to hear as kind of like a warning about what a bad agent could look like and what they could do to your confidence and also your career. Um, Oh yeah. So yeah. If they're not, if they are not like, um, if they're not responsive, if you feel that they do not understand um, your aesthetic, um, if they have pauses whenever they think talk about your work or think about your work or try to um, lead you to write other things, that person may not be the person for you. Very true. And... Actually, I, I noticed you mentioned that you um, didn't sign with Alice on The Gilded Ones. Mm-hmm. Do you mind um, telling us about, like, your, um, after you got an agent, your, like, journey after that? Sure thing. So after I got Alice, um, so the book that I got her for is The Nine Graves of Geraldine Grey, which is this middle school novel about um, this little girl in Louisiana whose job is it? it is to guard the most haunted graveyard and it's like and she has to like protect it from this evil witch and it's this deeply fantastical tale but it's like basically like a sort of black adams family type thing oh my god I'm um, obsessed. yeah it's 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 southern gothic because you know i grew up in the south and like and i've always been like fascinated with new orleans and i was um fascinated with voodoo because you know i'm west african like this is all sort of like all the things that attract me um and we queried it and we we sent it out for i think it was like almost um it was like eight months or something like that and we didn't really get anything back and at this point like i was getting nervous because i was at the time i was writing clickbait (laughs) um and uh, you know my job was okay but i hated every minute of it because all I wanted to do was being an author so I was just like when 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 is it gonna happen so um basically I remember um it was the December of the year and I spoke to Alice I was like hey Alice like um oh and I was a trending so like I was writing clickbait but like my actual job title was trending writer right so what I was doing was I was like looking on like social media and seeing what trends were coming and what would be big and what would so I looked at the trends and I saw sort of um what's it called um Black Panther oh, so I saw <laughs> so I saw Black Panther literally coming like a freight train I looked at it I was like you know this is going to be huge and next year that's going to be the big thing so that december i talked to alice and i'm like hey alice i see black panther it's coming like a wave i think the zeitgeist is ready finally ready from this book that i have um at the time it was called deathless and so i pitched it to her and she's like 
oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I wrote it like, you know, in, um, in grad school, but this thing needs like a page one rewrite because like when I, at the time when I wrote it, knowing, um, sort of the zeitgeist of the time, I, you know, I did not go as hard as I could. And I sort of like hid the true, the true nature of it because like I made her, I made her not as black. Like I, like I eased up on the Patriot. Like I did all these things, like basically like what you would, like what as a black writer back in those days you did to like sort of get your foot in the door. Um, but like, I looked at the zeitgeist that was incoming and I was like, you know what? I think the time is now. I think people are ready, um, for a book that like examines these things that's set in an African world that has like a black female protagonist. And she was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And, I, and she was like, Namina, when can you get it to me? I'm like, give me two months. I got it to her in a month and a half. Like I was waking up at 4 AM every morning. Uh, four, four to six a.m. in the mornings, and I would write ten to twenty pages before work. Like I literally, um, <laughs> I still have the diary page that I had when um, I was trying to break down how I could write the Gilded once that fast. So I literally broke down how many pages I needed per day to do before work, and also on weekends in order to hit that deadline um, and get it to Alice. Um, so I would wake up every morning, write 20 pages, 10 to 20 pages every morning. On the weekends, I'd write 30, 40 pages. And I remember I got it to her, I think it was like February 15th or something like that. And um, we go back and forth. Um, we clean up, we clean up some stuff, we, we do some stuff. And then I send it and she, and she tells me, oh, I'm sending it out March 1st. So March 1st, like, I am already having a preemptive depression where I'm like, Namina, you have been working hard for 12 years now. Um, you've never gotten anywhere, but don't give up. You, what's, what's important is right now you have a solid job. You're okay. You have, a, you know, you have an apartment. You're fine. You're not homeless. So don't give up. Like, it's okay to be sad. Like, I literally, that, like, um, the day before March 1st, had, like, one of those deep sort of, like, depressions where, like, I'm in bed and I'm, like, trying to tell myself everything is okay because I'm stealing myself for yet another rejection. So um, I remember I'm sitting in my apartment and I was wearing... Um, my pink unicorn onesie because that's what I wear whenever like I start to like feel okay and I get a call like and I see like a text from Alice she's like pick up the phone and like when I tell you my body starts shaking like I'm just like is this the call I'm like is she is if this isn't the call like I don't know what I'm gonna do and she like I pick up the phone and she's like we got a preempt like for six figures and I just like I collapsed like I was crying that was like the happiest day in my life because you know I'd been do like I'd been trying to be a writer for so long with literally everybody telling me no like my family even had a joke that like if you are like a person who sort of like is always off in your room or always off on your own doing stuff um, that doesn't seem to be of any importance. It's called Namanine. That's what they call it in my family. They're like, oh, you're going off to Namina. <laughs> like, to, like, to just waste time and, like, you know? But, like, and that was a moment, like, I called, like, my mom. I'm like, Namanine, pay it off. It paid off. Like, I was so happy. It was just, I was, like, everyone was, like, Namina, she's just off in a corner. I don't even know what she's doing. Like, they were so disapproving. She should just go to law school. You're wasting your life. And then... I got that call and it was like, oh my gosh, dreams actually do come true. And um, just tell everyone who you're being published by in the US, because that's the US deal, right? Yep, yep. So I'm being published by Delacorte Press. That's so cool. And you're one of the rare people I get, I actually meet who has like a UK and US deal. The last person who is going to be on the previous episode, um, which is coming out, we're filming this, well, not filming, we're recording this. Um, early but it's coming out this sunday which is, was going to be the 13th but that's shannon uh -huh. smart um uh -huh. so she's the other person i know with the us and the uk deal so could you tell us about your uk deal um process oh 
Well, sure. So um, my UK deal is with Osborne, and my UK editor is Becky. I love her so much. And, like, basically, my UK deal... So Alice um, is in charge of porn rights, which is amazing because, like, when we sold the Gilded once, she immediately went to... I forgot which um, book fest she went um, to... Um, but she immediately went to a book fest and then sold like all these other foreign rights deals, right? And so then it's time for the UK deal. And like it was so crazy because um, I remember waking up and having her being like, oh, um, these companies are sort of bidding against each other. And they sent like, they sent like boxes of like, they sent um, marketing plans, they sent, um, boxes of I think it was chocolate or something like that all sort of trying to get like the edge up over each other and then I like um, had phone calls with them and I immediately sort of vibe with Becky and I spoke to Alice because like for me I always and again this is why it is important that you have an agent that you trust and that you rely on because a lot of for me a lot of my decisions are I always ask Alice well what do you think because I'm like, it's all good and well. Like I'm, I'm very much an analytical person. Um, I, I can get very emotional, and I know that I can. So like, I'm, I, I rely on Alice to sort of be my backstop. So I'm like, I'm feeling this, but tell me what is the business side of this, and like, you tell me if the business and the feelings match up, you know. Um, and so um, I immediately vibe with Becky. But, of course, I asked Alice what she thought, and she loved her as well. And so, like, that's why we went with Osborne. This episode is mostly just about, like, um, what, like the book deal and also, like, what happens afterwards. Because I think a lot of people um, know a lot about the querying process and they know a lot about, like, maybe you have to get an agent. But, like, no one really talks about the post-agent um, and post-book deal and everything. Um, I wish I had more resources. So, firstly, what are the edit stages? Oh my gosh the edit stages especially if you are writing fantasy are never ending okay because first you have like they give you like the general so you get edits in stages right like you get first your big overall notes uh overall story notes world notes or what have you right and so it's like okay this part of the story isn't working let's finesse, let's whatever, and those are your big notes. So you go through, like, maybe two rounds of those, right? And then it starts sort of, like, becoming more and more fine-tuned and finesse, like, work on this character, like, work on this, like, um, are you sure what you're saying um, about, like, this theme or whatever? So the notes sort of get more and more specific the deeper you go until finally you arrive at like copy edits which you think like oh so they're just gonna like make everything great and give it back to me and like everything's gonna be sparkling and i'm done yay no you do another round um and honestly like i i'm the type of writer where anytime i get into my work i will always find something wrong um and as you get to like later stages like sometimes like the editors have to hold you off and be like hey hands off no more of this but i think i went through about perhaps six seven rounds i'm not sure at this point i'm not sure how many rounds of edits i did like i in fact even voluntarily did an extra round of edits because at the last sort of minute i came up with an idea that would make um that i thought would make the middle um the the second act a bit more compact and like sort of heighten the tension and um heighten the pace and so i went ahead and did that edit like at the literal last minute so yeah forever edit honestly fantasy writers stress me out um Uh number one they write huge books and then they have to make sure everything makes sense and that there's no plot holes i get like a headache thinking about what you and rosie have to do so I just congratulate oh, yeah. you guys. <laughs> Thank you. And, like, you also have to, like, think about um, the world. Think about um, what makes sense. Is this, is your magic system making sense? You know, like, there's all these questions that people ask that when you were writing, you were like, this is amazing. I'm bomb. This is such a great idea. 
And then in practice, and when people start asking you these questions, you're like, wait a second, wait a second, I think I need to reconsider this. Oh dear, I think this needs work. <laughs> and like, that's, that's, I remember um, when I got my first edit, like, I needed like a week, no, not my first edit, my second edit. I needed like a week to sort of process what it was that they were seeing and then to come up with a game plan to attack it. So typically now what I do with edits, um, especially if it's like a large note, I sit down, I really think about it, I come up with a game plan, and then I call my editors. So um, I call Kelsey, who's my US editor, and it's just fantastic. I call her and Becky, and together we just sort of sit down and like we figure it out. Like I remember um, there was, I forget what it was, but there was something in the book that was like a problem, and literally I'm on the phone with like Kelsey and Becky and we like, and I figure it out on the phone cause they're there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. And they're like, yes, yes, we know. It was great. Great. <laughs> um, and something you said actually about like, um, editors asking questions, like a good editor doesn't tell you this is wrong and you should change it. They'll ask you, why did you do this? And then yeah. you kind of develop, um, you develop your own answers rather than them kind of dictating things for you. And they ask a bunch of like, they ask a million questions and then you realize, okay, that's clearly not clear. Um, so yeah. And, um, could you take us through kind of like, um, what you do when you get your edit letter, how long your edit letters usually are for like developmental, um, just like take us through the nitty gritty, um, and like what you do in stages. Um, so I remember my first edit letter, I think was about seven pages long. And, um, of course they always start out with like, we love your writing. We think you're so great. Okay. But let's talk about these things. And like, literally they listed, okay, story. These are our notes about story. These are our notes about character. These are our notes about world. These are our notes about magic system. Right. So like they broke it down at each phase and so I then, I saw the notes, which at that point were overwhelming. So I was like, you know, I need a week to think about it. So I go off for a week and I just, I keep reading the notes and like thinking about it, breaking it down in my head. Like, what are they like understanding what they're saying? Um, and then I come up with a game plan and I call them and I also ask for points of clarification, you know, because sometimes notes can get lost in the sauce. And sometimes, um, every once in a while, this is rare. I think like Kelsey and Becky are amazing because like their notes are pretty on point. Um, but every once in a while, they can give you a note that on the surface seems like it's about one thing, but it's actually about something else. And when you fix that other thing, then, you know, you fix the, you fix whatever it is that they're reacting to. Um, so I typically, if I get like a big note, I'm like, okay, let me take a week to process and then like a month to sort of dig in and do this big rewrite, you know? Um, and for me, the rewrite process, like honestly was very fraught. Um, and it was fraught, like the first rewrite process was great. It was amazing. But like later on it became fraught because I had like a lot of sort of, um, issues this year. I had some deaths in the family and that derailed me completely. Um, and uh, when you're going through grief, you're not thinking as you were before. And so I remember I kept like trying to do rewrites um, while I was mourning. At some point you can't work if you are in an altered state because your mind, and then I got mad at myself because my mind literally was not functioning the way that it typically functions. But that's what happens like when you're in an altered state and you're and you're not sort of processing. But other than that, like, I think my rewrite processes were sort of really good because they were able to guide me and they were able to step back when I needed that time. Um, so that was just amazing. Uh, I feel like my process is kind of similar. I get my edit letter. My first edit letter was around 19 pages. And then my second edit letter was like 20 pages as well. But I basically look at it, get overwhelmed, put it away for a few days, call Becky, and then we talk about everything. And then I tackle it bit by bit by section. Like she divides it into characters and um, 
subplots and um also like i have like a gossip girl type figure in my book so we also discuss uh-huh. them tightening it up making it more mysterious just th- things like that so yeah it's kind of the same but like obviously with different genres so there's just different things that you're being tackled i had world building stuff but my world building section was probably be like a couple of sentences long like oh make sure you describe this place better but i think with fantasy you probably get like pages of like this oh, castle yeah. And I think the other thing that I got was basically, um, and I can never pronounce this word. Is it allegory or allegory? Help me out. Allegory. My whole book is basically an allegory um, about how um, a patriarchal system is built, how it is maintained, and who suffers um, because of this, you know? And because there's all this sort of underlying commentary, um, that's underneath this sort of on the surface. It's like a young adult novel. They're kicking ass, taking names. It's all young Wonder Women's doing their thing. Um, but underneath it, there's all these things that are being said. And so one of the things, like one of the big things in notes was there'd be some points at which the editors would be like, okay, let's take a step back and examine this portion. What are you trying to see here? Is this truthful towards this, you know? So we all had to, like, I think on some level, take a master class in um, feminist literature to, like, really sort of get to where we wanted to go with the novel. I finished reading your book at, like, 4 a.m. in the morning, and I was just, like, in tears, and I was like, oh, my God, this meant this, and this is why they were acting this way, and just, it was literally, like, um, you kind of see how a patriarchy is formed, and how like what goes into that and everything and it's just crazy i was just i love allegory so much one of my favorite books um in classes was um of mice no not mice and men um animal farm um animal farm is obviously about the pigs and everything but it's actually about the russian revolution and my favorite thing was researching history alongside reading it and yeah like my book's also an allegory so i just love puzzles so i love the fact that your book was more than just a cool fantasy there was more going on there was commentary being made and it was awesome yay thank you (laughs) i was actually scared when you were like i don't really read fantasy i was like she's gonna hate this i was really scared as well but so far um I've been loving fantasy this year. It started with your book and then I've been reading so much fantasy. It's really weird. It's like unlocked something in me and I'm like... Aha, we got you. We got you. That's what my friend Shannon said as well. Shannon was like, yes, come to our side. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I love... I feel like your book's probably going to be the thing that unlocks the love of fantasy in a lot of kids, especially black girls, I think, or women in general. I think they're going to read your book and be like yeah that's what I'm feeling that's why they're treating me this way this is how it's like developed and stuff so yeah I think your book's gonna be amazing and it's gonna like change lives oh thank you she said wiping off a fake tear I'm just trying to think of things that like will help people um what did you want to know when you entered this whole thing like what would you like what do you wish someone had told you Um, I wish, okay, I think the most important thing for writers, I think there's a couple of things that I want to know, um, I would want, I would have wanted to know. First is things don't happen when you want them to happen. So have you a solid day job? A solid day job, because like for most of my life and like, you know, I graduated during the recession and I went back to grad school, um, and I, you know, I had this path that was actually quite a, a very painful one because I could never quite find my own footing. And when you're like a 27, 28 year old woman who like can't take care of herself and can't like hold down like um, a real solid job, that's like a problem. But that was because I made the choices to like be artist, like you know, to always sort of choose art and to, like, try to, like, make my dream happen by hook or by crook. And I also made those choices. The most important, one of the most important things that I will say is I have a lot of privilege. And what I mean by that is I have the privilege of having a family that was never going to allow me to be homeless or to starve. I always knew that it didn't matter what happened, 
because at the end of the day, if I failed, I could always go back to my sister's basement and it's a hell of a nice basement, you know? So like all the feelings at the end of the day that I had were my own insecurities um, and like my own frustrations with being poor and not being able to stand on my own two feet. But I always had that, um, I always had that sort of fallback, you know? And I think as a writer, if you are choosing, if you are choosing to be a writer, understand it is a difficult path. It is a path that is not guaranteed. So find a day job that is solid. Like the thing about writing is that it never goes away. If you have that, if you have it in you, it'll always be there. And as long as you continue to work on it, like you don't have to like immediately hit it. You will hit it eventually. Like I am 32 years old. And I'm finally hitting it. You know what I mean? So make sure that you have that you have a place to stay, that you have a job, that you have food on your plate. Those are the important things. So that's number one. Number two, I would say be aware of the zeitgeist. And what I mean is be aware of what is happening in the world and what people are looking at and thinking about. Because a lot of times that determines what sells and what doesn't. Writing is a business. And I think the minute I started thinking of though, I started thinking of it in terms like that, that's when I started hitting my stride. Um, I think one of the <clears throat> one of the best things that happened to me was when I got my job um, as a trending writer writing clickbait. Because it forced me to number one, stop romanticizing writing. It's not, oh, I'm waiting for, like, my inspiration and blah, blah. It's like, no, every single day you have this number of pages and you have to make it happen, right? And so that sort of forced me to get into that discipline of writing every day, understanding how fast I write, what output I can make, you know, like, and understanding that, you know, it is a product that I'm doing, um, which is important and ties back to Zeitgeist because when you understand what like what's what sort of coming like what is what is the the forecast or like what is the culture looking like a year from now two years from now five years from now you're in a much better place because you can understand okay i can write to this like you know imagine if like you are in this time and you're trying to like push a book that is deeply patriarchal or deeply this or deeply that you always have to sort of go back and like look at like what is it i'm doing is it is it going towards the zeitgeist okay then i have like a greater chance not saying that you have to write to the zeitgeist because there are people who come in and make and make culture but i think it is important as a writer to understand to look at the culture understand where it's going and to be like okay i see where this is going because i think it sort of hedges your bets like to me writing is a business know your know the know the players know know where you want to be and set up a goal and set up a game plan to get there so yeah those are my two cents that's really um good and um something you said about um knowing basically what's going on in the world and social media especially when you're writing for teens and kids you need to know what their interests are these days and what they're looking at and what they are interested in because um, there's so many books I read and I know the person's never met a teenager from 2019. They only remember their growing up experience in the 90s and it comes across and it's very unrelatable. So yeah, I agree. I mean, more for contemporary stories, I guess. But yeah. Uh, what I would say is on that note, do not condescend to your audience. Um, I think that teenagers, especially in this era, are like the most aware, the most politically active, like they are smart, you know, like they understand, um, they understand like most everything and like a writer coming in and sort of like trying to preach to them or whatever is not going to make headway because teens are socially savvy. They're socially conscious. Like they are, they are primed. <laughs> they are prime consumers. Like they understand what they want and what they're getting. And so, you know, as a writer um, who wants to write to that demographic, you have to understand that demographic and you have to understand that they're very, you, you shouldn't condescend to them because like they are your audience, you know, like try to place yourself in their shoes. And the thing is as well, like um, 
I mean, I was a teenager last year. I'm 20 now. And um, I feel like I have like a, a, a step in both like lanes, I guess. Like I read books and I'm like um, analyzing the book and the way that a writer's written it. And I'm like, this person um, is very condescending, as you said. They don't understand teens. They're like trying to talk down to them. Same with children as well. Like middle grade, children are very smart and they know when someone doesn't understand them and they don't want to read oh, the yes. other books. Um, like my my baby sister, she um, I give her a bunch of middle grade books and a lot of them she loves, especially when they 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 don't um, treat her like she's dumb. But when a book is very um, preachy and it's telling the child this is how you should think and stuff, um, they hate it so much. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We're going to go to our last questions. What have you learned so far on this journey? My God, I feel that I am learning lessons every day. One of the most important lessons that I've learned is mind your finances. As a writer, you should always sort of be aware of your finances. Um, be aware of pay- payment schedules and all of these things. Because a lot. I think a lot of times people think, oh my gosh, I got a book deal. I get money immediately. No, you don't. And whatever price, like whatever you sold it for, like it comes in stages. So you have to understand and you have to sort of prepare for that. Because if you're not prepared, like I wasn't prepared, um, you know, and thankfully, like, again, I had my family to sort of support me, um, you know, it can be disastrous. So that's one of the most important things that I would say is as a writer, understand how book finances work you know understand how you're being paid understand um what you need to put aside for taxes what you need to do like all these things i am right now taking a financial literacy class because i'm tired of being a dum-dum and i think it is important that um because i think it is important because this is a business and i need to treat it like it's a business so like that's where i'm sort of like that's where my mind is at right now the other thing that i've learned the writing community is very open i think i think it's easy to make friends if you are the writing community is on twitter like that's one of the things that i've learned so make friends you know find critique partners Oh, and one of the most important things that I've learned is you are only as good as your critique partners. If you surround yourself with the writing of people that isn't at a certain level, your writing won't go to a certain level. Because I think a lot of times people think that writing exists in the vacuum and you are like sort of this emo writer in the darkness, you know, black cloak, and you're pouring out your feelings and it's amazing and you're such a genius. No, like writing is a collaborative effort novel writing it doesn't seem like it because yes for most of the time you are on your own writing in your corner or whatever but your critique partners tell you what's good your agent tells you what's good your critique partners help you grow and help you get better and um i personally have different critique partners for everything when i have an idea the first thing i do is i pitch it to 10 different people right um, because I just want to see watching their faces because people like will, their, people's words will lie, but their faces won't when you're pitching stuff to them. So I pitch to them um, and I make sure to pitch to my demographic, whether it's middle grade, whether it's young adult or what have you, and see what they think. Then from there, um, I go to pages and like I, you, I'm not the type of person who like does, um, chapter critiques anymore i used to when i was first starting because it was necessary in me learning the craft of writing but like i have many different people that i send like um i send my manuscript to so at every stage i'm always you know um interacting with and interfacing with critique partners uh just everybody and i think it is important again to remember that as a writer you're not writing in a void you are in a community and to seek out that community very true and actually there was controversy on twitter recently um where someone was saying how why would they want a cp who wasn't agented and um i think that's such a toxic way to think because it is having an agent doesn't mean you're a good writer having a book deal doesn't mean you're a good writer i feel like like my one of my best cps doesn't have an agent she's an amazing writer she's an amazing editor and 
she taught me things that I was doing completely wrong. I was so bad at, um, at like, um, what's the word for it? Visceral emotions. Yes. Um, so I would write my character and I'd be like, yeah, they did this. And then she's like, but what are they feeling? And I was like, true. I don't really think about what they're feeling. So constantly I have to remind myself, I have her advice in my head all the time and it's changed my writing 100%. Oh, it's the same with me. Um, I'm also not good at visceral emotions. And my critique, like my main critique path partner, her name is PJ Schweitzer. She is amazing. Like PJ, the way, and this is important, find a critique partner who has the things that you lack. Because when PJ deals with emotions, like I remember when I first read her book, and this was when we were both on agents and I cried. I was like, it, I, I like, I was like in tears and she has such a command of that. And she's always like bringing me back to, okay, now I'm but what's the emotion here? And like, that's an amazing thing. And I don't have that sense. So I like, I'm developing that sense and I'm developing it because, you know, PJ is my critique partner. Um, what you said was excellent. Um, get a critique partner that has the things that you lack. Um, not just someone that will be a cheerleader, but someone that does something well that you don't do well. I think oh, it's amazing. And tells you the truth. I, I don't believe people ever when they say my book is, um, they, they enjoyed my book because people can lie to you very easily. So I, I look for people that have what I lack because um, at least they'll tell me the truth in those areas um, because they can do it well and they can see when someone's not doing it well. Uh, I'm very bad at world building as well. So a lot of my critique partners are really good at world building. So I always go to them because I'm like, what am I not describing correctly? So yeah. And like end on like a fun question. I wanted to know what your favorite YA books were. Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. That's a big question. Um, I will just say like right now, my favorite, like right now, my favorite YA book that I just read was Slate. Um, I think that was a fantastic book. I think it um, showed me a world that I hadn't seen before. I loved your book. Um, I like literally, I was like, okay, this is Gossip Girl, but like if Gossip Girl was um, Gossip Girl meets Get Out. And I was like, okay, this needs to be a TV show. Um, I am also like, I just read The Cruel Prince. And I loved that. I thought that was amazing. Um, what else did I just read recently? Um, I am struggling to think of what I read recently. But so like those like were things that I just read that I was in love with. Um, I find that can I can I add a can I add a middle grade book that I read that I just of course loved? okay. So Tristan Strong punches a hole in the world. I got that today. It was so good. I love that. I loved, loved, loved that book. Like, um, I am just, I think like right now there's like so many good books out there. There's so, And particularly there are so many good books by people of color. And I'm, oh, 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 oh I almost forgot. I'm pregnant. I just Ooh. read that that was amazing thank you so much for sharing your favorite books could you tell everyone where we can find you on social media and your website and everything sure thing you can find me um my name is namina forna across all platforms so you can find me namina forna on twitter namina forna on instagram and my website is namina perfect thank you so much for being on um, the podcast thank you so much for having me this is amazing Thank you.